If you have uh, your devices or your Bibles, turn, turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 4. We'll be, uh, uh, we'll be spending the whole time in one portion of Scripture, Acts 4.31. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Ricky Spindler. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to have you with us today. And I want to say something here before the message gets started, because once I get going, I have a feeling I'm probably not going to remember this at the end. But next week, at the end of our service, we are going to have a time where we pray uh, for all, uh, all children who are in school. We're going to pray over every teacher, every administrator. If you are involved in the school system in any way, we want to pray over you. We are going to, uh, I'll explain this next week, but anoint you with oil. It's a biblical symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we want, even college students, we want to pray over you, high school, junior high. Uh, come on, parents, you need all the prayer you can give somebody. We're going to be praying for you. Come on. Some of you done dropped your kids off at school, and they're smiling and praising the Lord, and you're crying and mourning and on the way home. Come on. So anyway, uh, we just want to make sure, that we'll have it all organized. It'll be great. And, and at the end, we just want to make sure that we pray over you as we begin a new school year. So please keep that in mind. They say that in, in sports and even in the arts, specifically music, that you must acquire about 10,000 hours of practice to create something called muscle memory, to where you can uh, play the instrument seamlessly without even thinking about it because the, the fingers just seem like they know where to go. And in, in sports, it is you have honed your craft, whatever that craft is, so well that there is no thinking involved. They say once you think, you lose. So you have to develop something that they call in boxing, they call it the championship reflex. Because... Uh, uh, was a Mike Tyson who said this is that uh, once I hit you all your plans go out the window come on <laughs> so you you better have developed that championship reflex so you're not waiting to respond you're reacting in the moment your muscles seem to know what they're going to do in the book of Acts it, it things are happening Acts 2 the Holy Spirit's poured out the church is is blossoming, it is growing at a very rapid rate, seemingly an unstoppable force. And, and, and if the, the numbers that are proclaimed in the book of Acts, and you take the amount of time over a period of months, it seems like the early church was growing at a rate. It said they added to their number daily. And to get to the number that they had uh, by Acts 4, they were growing at a rate of 130 people coming to Christ per day. So the church is, is moving rapidly. And what you're going to see in the text we're about to read in the narrative is that the enemy comes in and throws a punch. See, Peter and James in Acts 3, they've, they've, they've had a miracle in plain sight. They've, they've healed a lame man by the side of the road. They said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I, I give to you. Get up and walk. Well, that captured. Everybody knew this guy captured the attention of the city. Everybody was talking about it. People were like, man, this guy can walk now. The catalyst for that, Peter and James, are therefore called to court. 
the religious sect rulers, this portion was called the Sanhedrin over the temple, formidable uh, force in Jerusalem at that time. Because they see what's happening, they want to cut it off, and so they put them on trial. In, in, in this trial, uh, they tell them, I'll come back to it later, but what they tell them to do is to stop talking about this thing called Jesus, to not proclaim it anymore. And then it says they, they, they beat them, they flogged them and sent them on their way. So the enemy's thrown a punch. So now you got to see how do we counteract, what's the championship reflex of these leaders, Peter and James, but also the early church. You're going to see is that they don't hold a, 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 just a regular leadership meeting. They, what they do is they go back and they call a prayer meeting. They decide that they're going to report about what's happened, and in Acts 4, they decide that they're going to hold a prayer meeting. And what happens in, in verse uh, 29, if you look a few verses up, they begin to pray. And it starts off like this, now, Lord, uh, consider their threats. Now, Lord, consider their threats. What you're going to see, and I'm not going to take time because uh, it just would it'd be too long of a sermon. How many are thankful for that? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Is uh, they do not pray for their enemies to be destroyed. They do not pray for the circumstances to change. Rather, they pray a prayer that God would empower them to fulfill the mission uh, that he had given them in the midst of this difficult circumstance. And what they do is they pray Psalms chapter 2. They pray a prayer pattern of the Bible outlined for them. In Psalms. They literally pray it word for word. You're a sovereign Lord. You rule over nations. Psalms chapter 2. And I think it's interesting. You learn an insight into this. And that's this, is that uh, when they are throwing punches, they're hitting the enemy with the word. It's Jesus in, in, the guard, in, in, in the wilderness, he quotes Deuteronomy three times. It is written, devil, it's written. You shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. It is written. You know, I think we need to get better at hitting the devil back. When he throws a punch at you, just hit him right back with the word. When he tells you to doubt the salvation experience that you have, just quote a little scripture. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come on, when, when you're sitting there and you don't know how you're going to be healed and you're wondering, how, man, I got all kinds of reports sitting in front of me, just, just hit back a little bit and say, by his stripes, I am healed. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're talking. If I had an organ, we'd be going right now. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Let's, let's go a little bit. I'm telling you, how about this one? When you feel utterly defeated, dejected, you are currently despondent, and you just say, you know what, devil? I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Or if you feel weak and you don't have any idea where the strength's going to come from, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or how about this one? When you're sitting here, you stepped out in faith, and now you got a bill due, and you don't know where it's going to come from, and the devil's whispering, I told you you shouldn't have done that. You're going to fail. The money's not going to come. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Just hit him back a little bit. Come on. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you got to hit him back. Not hit them. I said hit him, okay? Watch it now. Some of you just elbowing the neighbor here and throwing a punch. Man, listen. That's a whole different sermon, though. 
I, I, I found this, uh, this little thought here, and I think this is important when it comes to prayer. If it's not big enough to be a prayer, it's too small to be a burden. If it's not big enough to be translated into a prayer before the Lord, then it's too small of a burden for you to carry. I know, I, I, liked I didn't say it, but I'm, I'm giving it there. <laughs> Acts 4.31 is the outcome of the prayer. And the title of this, this message is called The After Effect. I want you to read this championship reflex, They Pray, and then what God does on their behalf. Now, the book of Proverbs says that wisdom has hewn, chiseled out seven pillars that she, she rests upon. But I think here, if you were to say, why prayer? What are the effects of prayer? This is probably the best text in the scriptures for this. Uh, you could call it the seven pillars, outcomes, effects of prayer, if you will. Let's read it in verse 31. It says this, after they prayed, the place where they, meet, they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke, spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. It says, and with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then the first half of verse 34, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word and truly give us understanding. And all God's people said, Amen. So I want to just walk through each of these and pull, pull them out. And at the beginning of every semester, at the beginning of every year, if you haven't figured it out, I'm always going to highlight the value of prayer. Prayer is not uh, the only thing, but it is the chief thing when it comes to walking with the Lord. It is the, uh, one of the primary things in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I feel always this tug, this pull at the beginning of every semester just to recenter the church on this value, not only just personal prayer, but to invite you to our corporate prayer meetings. I am not really worried about the size of a Sunday morning service. What I am worried always about is the prayer meetings. And, and I just say that if you have to pick between coming on Sundays and Wednesdays to our prayer meetings, I would rather you come for an hour of prayer than to come on a Sunday morning because the church moves forward on its knees. The church moves forward in an atmosphere of prayer. And this text will show it. So I want to just think these things can be claimed personally for you, for your family, for your marriage, but we're, I'm going to speak to them in the context of, of a church, a corporate prayer meeting. So the first one is this. It says, after they had play, prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That's number one. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaking. Now, in this text, it, it seems to indicate that it was a literal shaking. Somehow the ground shook, the building shook, there seemed to be an earthquake. I want you to know that when we begin to pray, God will always shake things up. In Haggai 2, it says, when Jesus comes, that he will shake the nations of the world. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, that everything that can be shaken in time will be shaken. Even, it says, the earth will be shaken. 
and the heavens will be shaken. Uh, the scripture says in the book of Psalms that at the voice of the Lord, Lord the whole world will shake. This, this word shaking means to be uh, toppled or to be pushed over by a strong wind or wave. It means that the, the, the wind began to blow so hard that it just pushed some things over. I don't know about you, but what was it, about six, seven weeks ago here in Champaign-Urbana, we had a thunderstorm coming through, a little pop-up thunderstorm, 70-mile-an-hour winds coming through, and we decided in our house that, hey, we, you know, our basement isn't so nice, so we're going to walk across the parking lot and get into the basement of the church. Come on, that's the perk of living close to the church and having a key. I'm going to get down in that basement. We thought we timed it just right, but 70-mile-an-hour winds caught us midway, rain, hats flowing. I mean, it's just the dog might have got picked up and blown away. I don't know. About 10 minutes later, it's all over. We come out, and I was just amazed at what had happened with a strong wind. Whole streets had trees down. They'd been uprooted, massive trees toppled over on top of a house and just fences down and shingles everywhere. But could it be that when we gather to pray, or maybe when you pray on your own, you are invoking a strong wind to blow into your life? So much so that it has the ability to knock some things down that have got a grip on you and a hold on you. And could it be that as we go into another, uh, another you know, season, semester here, that we make a fresh commitment to prayer so that the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow on our midst and knock some things down, some strongholds down in our lives. But also in the, in, the, in the corporate context, we need a strong wind to shake things up. Shake your marriage up, shake your personal life up, shake your finances up, shake some things free. The second thing, it says, after they had prayed, it says, this, uh, it says that they were all filled with the Spirit. That's what it says. It says that they were all filled with the Spirit. This means to come under the influence of or the control in a greater way to the person and the dynamism of the person of the Holy Spirit, to be empowered, to be equipped in a fresh way by the person of the Holy Spirit. And again, the image of wind comes in because it's a picture of a sailboat with its sails up waiting for the wind to blow. You see, when you begin to pray, not only does the strong wind come and topple things down, but it also begins to set you in motion. It begins to move you to God's preferred future. There, there's always movement attached to the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's always moving you to a preferred destination and place. I traveled, I don't know how many thousands of miles this summer on, on a car, in a car. And I'm amazed that you see these blinking lights and these big uh, wind turbines, wind fields. Sometimes you see them in just one or you see 10. And sometimes you can see hundreds. And in some places of the U.S., you can see thousands of them, just as far as the eye can see. And what you, you notice is how you know the wind is present. How do you know the wind is present? Because you see those turbines just moving, just moving, just turn and turn and turn and turn and turn it. You know that the wind is, move, is blowing because there's a response of the windmill. And, 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 but you know what I've noticed? Every time, there's always one windmill in a whole group of windmills whose favorite song is, I shall not be moved. Everyone around is moving, but this one, I don't know, it's broke. It's just, it ain't moving at all. It refuses. 
You know, I just thought about that. A thousand windmills can't be wrong. And I've just, you know, I've been around this thing long enough that sometimes you can be a broken windmill. You can be in a service like this and everybody's got their hands up, everybody's worshiping, some of them be like, "Mm mm-hmm, I don't like that song. It's hot in here. Somebody need to turn on the air. You know, how long is this preacher going to preach today? You know, listen, I know. And if you keep looking at me like that, I'm going to preach longer. I'm going to reserve the right. So, it, it, you know, you can, get, you can be a windmill and the Spirit of God is blowing in a place and you refuse to move. But listen, it's not the wind's problem. It's you that's broken. And as I say, when we, you pray, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to move and to set you in motion. Don't be the windmill that refuses to move. So it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the next one, it says this. It says, after they had prayed, it says that they spoke the word of God boldly. It says that they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, in regards to spirit baptism, I want you to know that uh, boldness is just as much a sign of spirit baptism as heavenly language. And sometimes we get so fixated on speaking and praying in a heavenly language that we, live, we leave out being bold in the language that we know and speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. There is a, what the, the Greek word there is, a cheerful courage. Uh, a, a cheerful courage given that a spirit-born boldness that is received from the spirit that will make you bold about the things that you have seen and heard. You back up the truck a little bit, Acts chapter 4, verse 20, when the disciples say, you can't talk about this anymore. I love Peter's response to them. Peter says to them, hey, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. One translation says, it is impossible for us to stop talking about what we've seen and heard. I like this translation even better. One of these random translations, it puts it like this, we can't help it but to talk about what we've seen and heard. You know what I think we need in the church is we need a case of the we can't help it's anymore. Come on, we can't help. You know there are two things that are in the book of Revelation that were given to defeat the devil. First one is this. You shall overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So the first part, the devil can't do nothing about. The Bible says it is finished. He can't do anything against what Jesus has done. That's fixed. That's done. But what he can do is to keep you from giving your testimony. And what if I was the devil, which I'm not, but if I was, I would silence you from giving your testimony. I just wonder, have we grown too silent? Have we grown too silent? And I'm not talking about entering the political arenas and saying this is Biden and this is Trump because that's coming and there's a sermon coming for that next year. Come on, somebody. But I'm talking about where you're testifying and getting Jesus in your mouth. And you're talking about some, because some of you have some incredible testimonies that you used to share when you got saved. You remember when you got saved, some of you people a long time ago, come on, and remember how fresh it was and you were looking for every opportunity to insert Jesus into the conversation. But somehow over time, we've grown silent. Some of you have current realities. You've been somewhere. You've been healed from some stuff. Why not? Why are we silent? Let's get a little testimony. I can't help but to talk about it anymore. I can't help to talk about how we set me free. I can't help to talk about how he saved me. Come on, somebody. How many of you got something to talk about? 
All right? So speak the word of God boldly. I can't help it. In fact, help me out and turn to your neighbor and say, I just can't help it. You got to talk about it now. You speak the word of God boldly. So that means this. The Holy Spirit is going to nudge you to share your testimony at work as the coach of the basketball team, at the hospital with the doctor. Uh, you're going to have to share. Holy Spirit's going to put it on you, a prompting, and you step in with the Holy Spirit and just say what you need to say and let the Holy Spirit deal with it. Next one is this. After they had prayed, the scripture said that all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. They were one in heart and they were one in mind. I'll say this. When, uh, when there is a prayer-filled place, what you will always find is unity. It, it, prayer creates a unity of heart motives and a unity of mind thoughts. Prayer has a way of bringing uh, different ethnicities, races, uh, socioeconomics, education levels. Somehow at the foot of prayer, we're all equal. It's the divine equalizer. It brings us together. And listen, we cannot get that kind of unity without prayer because Jesus in John 17 says, I pray that you may be one. Oneness comes from the place of prayer. We can't get it through programs. We don't get it through education in the church. We get it through the spirit of prayer. That's how it comes. The Bible says when we walk in unity, God commands the blessing. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So therefore this, when there's not prayer, there's always division. I have stepped into many counseling sessions where it's an obvious divorce. It's over, uh, but signing the papers. I've been in churches where, man, it seems uh, like you, you've got uh, the battle lines have been drawn and everybody's ready to just take each other out. But what I've noticed in all of those situations, when it ever got to the point somewhere, they stopped praying. And I'm just amazed at how when you just reinstitute prayer into those settings, how quickly hearts begin to change and the Spirit of God begins to do something there. Why is that so important? And that's because of this. It's because of a word called resonance. This is a physics word. It's when the vibrations of two entities move towards each other and begin to beat on the same frequency. It's called resonance. We use this word in relationship terms. We resonate with one another. And, and we get each other. We're, we're walking on the same beat, if you will. Well, this happened in Clemson University. They built a multi-million dollar football stadium, brand new. And within a year to two years, the foundation and the wall started cracking. And so they hired this whole study to discover, well, why is this happening? Is the concrete faulty? Was the architecture wrong? What's, what, is the steel not up to par? And they came back, everything was where it should be. And then they decided to test resonance. And what they discovered was this, is that the Clemson, um, the Clemson band was practicing and playing a certain song that was the same vibration uh, as the, the stadium. And they, whenever they would play the song, the frequencies would match, and it was destroying the stadium. And the song, you know what it was? Louie, Louie, hey, Louie, Louie. Anyway, this is crazy. Who knew? Who knew? So they stopped playing the song, and everything was good. But it's amazing to me how when things get in tune with one another, that structures that seem cannot be broken are broken. 
You see, this is why we have to pray as a church, because this right here is impossible. Where in the world can 40 nations of the world gather together like this? Somebody came last week for the first time and said, this is the United Nations of the church. And I was like, it is. How do you do it? It's through a spirit of prayer that hopefully can tear down racial structures out there because of resonance that takes place in here. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a hand clap for what he does. That's good. Next one is, after they prayed, this is it. It says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had, that there were no needy persons among them. You know, it's interesting that I've, I've seen this happen. It happened in my own heart, is that when prayer increases, what soon follows is generosity. Prayer always leads to new levels of generosity. They're connected. Jesus said this. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Listen, whenever we don't pray, selfishness increases. We can turn a marriage into a den of thieves. We can turn a family into a den of thieves. We can turn a church into a den of thieves. The thing that's supposed to give life to you can take things from you. It's possible. Where any institution or entity that does not pray will inherently, because of their sinful nature, breed selfishness. We will take from one another. So the, one of the greatest effects of prayer is this, is that it moves us from thinking about ourselves to thinking about others. And it moves us from selfishness, oh, well, this is all for me, to what do I have and what can I give to that person? Now, notice it says there was no needy person among them. It doesn't say poor. It says needy. The poor can be needy, but so can the rich. So can the educated and the non-educated. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an equalizing word. We all have needs. And when we pray, I begin to see you, and I begin to see your need, and God begins to say, you have something, give it to them. It unleashes new levels of generosity. Next one is this. It says, after they had prayed, I like this one, with great power, I put in parentheses authority, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thought I have here, and this is a good thought, and I would write this down. It's this, is that when we forfeit the place of prayer, we forfeit spiritual authority. When we forfeit the place of prayer, we forfeit spiritual authority. I want, you, I want to say something that, it, it, I'm, going to, I'm going to clarify it later, but I'm going to make the statement, and that's this, is that there are levels to devils. There are levels to devils. And you will come against spiritual forces that are opposing you at a different level that they were opposing you previously. That's it. You attempt to move any time towards God's direction, and you're going to face some new devils that you've never faced before. This happened in, in, the, in the disciples' life. Uh, Jesus took three of them, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain of transfiguration. There he revealed himself. It's a powerful moment. Jesus takes the three. They go back down, it says, into the valley, went from mountain to valley, and there the nine disciples were waiting. It says that a father had a son who was filled with a demon. 
And it says that demon would throw him into the fire and try to kill him. So the father says, hey, you guys are Jesus' disciples. Cast this demon out. So they tried because Jesus in Luke 10 said, I give you all authority over demons. And they had already done that and rejoiced with Jesus. So here they are doing exactly what they did before. Jesus says do it. They're doing it, and it's not working. So Jesus comes onto the scene, has a conversation, and casts the devil out. And then the nine pulled Jesus aside and said, what was that? How did you do that? And what's Jesus' words? He says, this kind does not come out except by prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting. Interesting. Jesus says this kind. In other words, guys, this is a whole nother level. This is a whole nother devil you're dealing with. Some of you are going into new seasons and you're wondering what in the world is coming against you. It, it, you've lost a few rounds. The devil is punching you out, man. You, you thought you was fighting a kid on the street. You're fighting Mike Tyson, okay? <laughs> it's another level. But listen, the word that Jesus uses here is this. He says, uh, but this kind can only come out with prayer. The word there means a place of prayer. You go on to study a little more, it means this. Not just a place of prayer, a place of prayer that is kept warm, that is kept hot, that is fervent, that is intense. So here's the thing. Some of us, we're going to go on a new season here. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find some new devils. But we can't attack the devils at the same level of our current prayer. And maybe we need to go back into our prayer clauses, like Jesus said personally, and even corporately as a church, and heat up the value of prayer again. Heat it up just a little bit more. Maybe some of you, what you need, we need to do at the end of this service, our services are worship, word, and a prayer meeting at the end. What is so important out that door that you got to run to that parking lot for? There's plenty of coffee. Your kids are going to be just fine. Have a moment where you come to the altar and you pray. Have a moment where you sit and pray and reflect. Just take 10 minutes. Take your place of prayer and heat it up just a little bit more because you're facing some new devils and you need a new level of prayer. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching right there. <clears throat> Worship team, can you come? Let me read this last one here. And this is the one that we will uh, receive the elements of communion with. And it says this, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I'm going to teach this in a second, but I just want to make sure. Let's go ahead and get the elements of communion in our hands. You don't need to pop them open. Just make sure you got one. And if you need one, uh, just raise your hand. If you can somehow, oh yeah, see, there's all, every week there's some right here. <laughs> I just want to lift your hands. We'll make sure that we get them to you. You don't need to move. We got uh, ushers and different people who'll be walking around. <clears throat> we won't throw them at you, I promise. A few things here. Number one, we don't practice close communion. That means uh, you don't have to be a member of Stone Creek. You can be a visitor. All that we ask is that you have a relationship with Jesus. Number two, parents, you decide for your kids. We're not policing that. You know your kid's faith. You decide. And then thirdly, we believe that communion is a declaration of our unity in Christ. I just preached about that. We're all equal under the blood of Jesus. 
And so let's wait and receive these elements uh, together if we can. You know, I love this word. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Just leave that on the screen there. Some translations say this, and God's blessing was so powerfully at work among them. One translation says, and God's favor was upon them all. You know, uh, favor appears first in the Bible. This, this concept of grace and favor, it appears in Genesis 6, verse 8. And it says this, and Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It says, and Noah found favor. I love what the message paraphrase says. It says it like this. It says, and God looked at Noah and liked what he saw. He looked at Noah and he liked what he saw. You know what I, my prayer for you is, is that when God looks at you, he likes what he sees. When he looks at your marriage and he looks at your family, he, he, it pleases him. When he looks at this thing called Stone Creek Church, we're not perfect, but we're praying, we're seeking the Lord, and somehow his spirit is creating this blessed community, grace-filled community, and he likes what he sees. Uh, one translation says it like this, and God's great grace was upon them all. You know, grace in the Bible is an overflow word. It's an overflow. It spills out. It's the abundance of God. Paul said it like this, it's because of the abundant grace of the Lord that I'm able to do the things that I do. And I just believe that God has more than enough grace for every single family and person in this place today, an abundant grace. And I just want you, as we receive the elements of communion, if you don't mind, would you stand right now and hold these elements in your hands as we get ready? If you can stand, stand. Got plenty of time here. I just want you to know you saw a miracle today. I preached seven points in 30 minutes. Come on, somebody. That's a miracle. Just bow your head and close your eyes and hold the, the, the wafer in one hand and, and, and the juice in the other. So now we enter into the prayer meeting. If you're here today, come on. Elements or no elements in your hands and you need Jesus. Acts 4 says, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. You can look in Muhammad, you can look in Buddha, Hare Krishna, you can look all these places, but there's only one name, only one provision from God the Father, and it's the Son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and was resurrected by the power of the Spirit. He has authority to save you. And if you will submit your life to him through prayer, prayer of faith, if you will make him, invite him to be Lord of your life, ask him to forgive you and cleanse you, he'll do that this morning. All of hell could not prevent you from being saved in this moment if you wanted to be. Give your life to Jesus. Now, here's the other side of the room here. Let's just quickly, I'm not going to belabor this, but let's just use this as we hold these elements in our hands. Could we just use this as a prayer outline? I'll just lead you through it. I want you just to pray right along these lines with me. I want you just to ask the Lord right here with elements in your hand. Lord, would you shake anything in my life that needs to be shaken? 
Shake things off of me that got a grip on me. Shake that addiction. Shake that shame. Shake that pain. Shake that unforgiveness. It's had me for decades now. Shake the alcoholism off of me. Shake the addiction to the pain pills. Shake it, Lord. Shake it off of me. Shake my marriage up, Lord. It needs new life in it. Shake it up. Oh, here's the next one. Holy Spirit, fill me again. Holy Spirit, I don't want to go into my classroom. I don't want to go another semester without the wind of the Spirit in me. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Anoint my hands in every surgery. Holy Spirit, give me your thoughts. Pour your wind in me. Be at every practice. Holy Spirit, come. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Here's the next one. They spoke the Word of God boldly. Holy Spirit, put your words in my mouth. Give me courage to speak about you. Help me to testify about you. Come on, just pray. Holy Spirit, put your words in my mouth. Here's the next one. Holy Spirit, help me to walk in unity. Help me to have, be of one heart and one mind. Bring unity to my marriage. Bring unity to my family. Bring unity to my church. Holy Spirit, let there be resonance. Here's the next one. They didn't have any of the possessions. They didn't claim them as their own. Holy Spirit, move me from selfishness to generosity. Would you do that? Jesus laid his life down for you. Come on, be, have a sacrificial spirit in your heart. Holy Spirit, move me from thinking about me to thinking about others. It says, with great power and authority, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Here's a good one. Holy Spirit, help me to heat up my prayer life. Holy Spirit, revive my heart to call upon your name. Holy Spirit, turn my heart towards prayer again. And personally, turn my heart, turn this heart of the church back to a heart of prayer, Lord. That's our strategy. And now... Lord, let there be great grace upon me. Come on, just pray. Let there be great grace upon me. Let there be great grace upon my children. Name them. Upon my marriage, name them. Everything you steward, invite the grace of God into. His favor, His blessing. Upon your business, upon everything that you steward. Let there be grace upon that team. Grace upon it, Lord. Ooh, Lord. Lord, I thank you that in the room today you're ministering to people. Lord, I pray every time we receive communion, I pray for divine healing. And I pray for the sick among us even now. Sick in body, bind, and spirit. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, I speak healing. I speak life, not death. I pray for things to be restored and renewed. I pray for, for, for cancer to be reversed, Lord. I pray for all kinds of conditions to be healed. I speak your word. By your stripes we are healed. Lord, let many testimonies rise up out of this church of divine healing, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Diabetes healed. Issues just gone, Lord. Let it happen. We thank you for these elements. We receive them today, Lord, with gratitude and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat the wafer. And let's drink the juice. Amen. Please remain standing as we worship the Lord together.